Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Whitland Church. This is Cross Reference with Dr. Dan Spanger and Pastor Luke Leduc. Um, uh, Luke, I, I think what they're waiting to hear was this is Cross Reference with Dr. Dan Spanger and Pastor Keith Winder. Um, ah, right. Because those that are listening uh, have now realized that I simply just did not record one with Pastor Winder. He's still weeping in his office. I know. It's been, I know. It's been he wouldn't seven talk to me on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't even say hi to me. Um, I tried to oh, embrace him. Uh, I tried to give him a Christian yep. kiss of welcome. Yep, the he, holy he kiss from Paul. The holy kiss himself. Yeah. Yes, from Paul. He refused. No, actually, Keith was really good about it, and I, I said I, my week just got totally out of control, and his did. And he said, "I was kind of hoping you wouldn't send me an email." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's both where we both were. And I asked him uh, if he wanted to recut, and he's like, "No, that's okay. We'll, we'll yeah. just move on to the next we'll one." So plow ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry to listeners that that we didn't get a chance to to have a conversation about that one. I always enjoy the conversations with Keith. Um, but we're we're with Luke this morning uh, from his um, um, his sermon on Ephesians four uh, one to sixteen. So so Luke and this wait 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 one to six. Remember I oh, one, I had oh, aspirations right. for one to sixteen, I, but I, I had to do the other ten verses yeah. right here and now. Right, exactly. Sorry about uh, that. Yeah, that's right. One to six. One to six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, and you and you made you made a statement that that we worth discussing is how we talked about sermon prep before and how this can kind of go sideways between the time you send something out to the publisher, yeah, right, or to the right. printer. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you 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 said you were saying that that somehow at this point the the Ephesians has taken a turn, a bit of a hinge in the book. Yeah, and yeah. Paul's been and doing I, something here, and now something's shifting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and I, I think I used those grammarian words of indicative and imperative mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a lot there's a lot simpler way to say it and basically for the first three chapters the indicative or is paul basically saying this is who you are this is yeah. what jesus has done and because of what jesus has done here is who you are your identity and i wonder if um you know that's <laughs> Okay, that's a rabbit trail into other podcasts <laughs> we've had that have, have, have um, talked about our own modern wrestling with identity. What does identity mean? All yeah, of that. Yeah. Set all that aside for a minute. And um, what we're seeing, uh, and I think maybe is why Christians perhaps have a little different take on identity mm -hmm. than maybe, um, maybe what modern moderns might think about identity is 
from the beginning, like we have a 2000 year tradition of receiving mm. an identity and right. then living out of an identity. And I think uh, this is really a sidebar, but if you have not been part of that tradition, yeah. um, then you can understand why identity could be such a different conversation for someone in the modern age where identity uh, has been self-constructed in many ways, or at least, mm. you know, the age has grown to do that. But anyway, all that to say for 2000 years, the church has had this, the church at her best has had a, a rich tradition of living out of an identity. Mm. Um, the, and that's of course the indicative and the imperative, which I say is what Paul turns to in chapter four, or this is who you are in chapters one through three. And because this is who you are, this is what you do in chapters four, five, and six. And yeah, so it's a big turn. And I wanted us to pause sort of at the beginning to really recognize this shift into another gear, because that's an important part of hearing um, four through six, that we're not, you know, these are things that we're hearing out of who we actually are, not, not in another way. Well, what happens if we reverse it? Because it seems like you're not only just trying to reflect Paul well here, but it seems also yeah. like you're trying to correct a potential flaw. Yeah, that sometimes sure. it's easy to go from the from the imperative to the indicative. And maybe that's what you're talking right. about. By identity, yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it, the, one of the, I mean, of course, I'm sure it's, it's a, as with anything, there are levels and layers of, of problems that can come up. Um, but I think at least one of the first things that comes up if you flip these is you are left trying to accomplish something on your own that you feel like you're constructing and the weight. Mm. Uh, and I mean, this is all of, this is part of why we love reformed theology in a yeah. sense is because we feel like what we've received is new life and new creation. And now we're mm. living out of that. We're not having to manufacture that on our own. Grace is truly grace. It is a, a free gift, that sort of thing. So that's just one big important thing. But yeah, there's so much that flows out of getting these things put in their proper order uh, for our life together and life with God. Yeah, if, if there's anybody struggling maybe with these terms, because again, I think when you, my background to my Zoom is all my books in my library. This is what I do. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, all, I, I love it. Not all day. Most rest of the days in meeting, right. sadly. But when I'm doing what I'm doing, it's reading and thinking through these things that that indicative and imperative are very specific terms. I think you unpack these a bit, Luke, but it, to say to say imperative is an ought, you have to do, you must do, mm. this is what you have to do. And it, it, it'd mm -hmm. be like saying to, you know, uh, a person, you have to learn to swim well. And so then you train and train and train, and then you finally, there's nothing to say to a, to a fish, you have to swim well. Well, that mm. you're, you're, it's an imperative. It's imperative that describes an existing reality. You're already right. a fish. I don't mm -hmm. have to make you that. And I think what everyone's sort of unpacking what Luke's getting at, I think, is the idea that if you go from the one where you have to do what's right and you have to have unity, and if you do this really well, we'll finally have a unified church. Right, right. This goes into yeah. work righteousness and this falls into anxiety and this, right. where, where this Paul right, is doing this opposite thing where he's saying the reality is it's already, and I think you made this really strong point, that you're already unified. Union in Christ is the reality. Yeah. And it will be lived out, whether you like it or not, in one sense. I mean, you're going to yeah. swim because you're a fish. Now, why don't you own that? And why don't you live into it? As you say, lean into it. That now yeah, the imperative yeah. follows that order. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I think it takes so much of 
the burden off of us and turns it into, um, I remember this song, it's talking about the law of God in the way in which when we embrace Jesus as the law keeper, mm. it doesn't absolve us of keeping the law, but it then it makes keeping the law a delight instead of mm. a duty because, and, and so I think that's part of what happens here. I know we're sort of, I'm now I've introduced another um, <laughs> in, indicative imperative, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's so important that when we come at our life together as well, and, and of course that's the background for Ephesians four, this indicative imperative can be taken in other places, but sure. for here, for Paul's letter to a particular congregation in a particular place, what he's concerned about is them living together out of the reality of what Jesus has done right. in his death and resurrection. And so that's why this unity is taking such a big, a big um, uh, headline in, in, in his letter. But this is, I, I, I think what you did is really yeoman's work here in a lot of ways, because, you know, the modern, this is, this is just really hard to think this way. It's really hard to think through, you know, that it, it's not something that has, that we have to do to, I mean, everything works that way. If you're not going to invent a good iPhone, you're not going to get one. If I don't go to work, I don't get paid. If I don't, if, and, and we think this way about people, if you don't love them when you're young, then they're going to become mm -hmm. monsters when they're old. Like what, we're always in this trap of the outcome is always on our shoulders to get right, right now. And, and, right. you know, and, and the amount of anxiety that's driven down into us, I mean, mm -hmm. and, and it, social media has not helped nothing right. in our culture is helping because it makes us, we're responsible now for the global climate. We're responsible for racism nationally. We're responsible for Ukraine because we didn't dislike Putin enough. Like there's always something we're responsible for that, that this is so different. Mm. And I think it is, it bears repeating. And I think the time to say, the outcome is not something that's on your shoulders. This is yeah. something that Christ has already accomplished yeah. and will accomplish without fail. The question yeah. is, will you participate? And I think you use that concept. Mm -hmm. We get to participate in what's already real. It's such a, right. it's yeah. such a reversal of the way that we are every yeah. day battered to think that we really have to own this. If not, mm -hmm. we, we go to where I think you're talking about this, yeah. this place of trying to make it happen rather than recognize it's already. Yeah. Happened. And I think, I think all of us have people, I mean, look, if I can pull pull it out and maybe give a, a, another way to think about it as an illustration of um, living out of reality rather than against reality. I think we all have people in our lives who we love, who at one point or another, we have been um, sad or frustrated or maybe angry or what, whatever, we've been disillusioned with them. But all of us have people who we love and who we're in relationship with that we've said this about, if they would only live in reality, then this problem would be different. If they would only right. live out, yeah. you know, they're living as if their money's never going to run out, or they're right. living as if um, wh whatever, whatever situation they're involved in is actual reality. And, right. and, and I think in a sense, where Paul's going with this is he's, he's saying that living in reality is actually in verses nine and following is um, what it means to be mature. And isn't that in a sense, what we're doing with our children right. is we're trying to get them. You don't give it to them all at once. They can't handle it all at once, but as they grow, what we're always trying to do is invite them to live in reality. And whether right. it's, if you don't do your homework, you're going to fail this class or whatever, but. Right, right, right. And there's, and there's a lot of biblical language for this, which again, is just a little foreign. And we may, 
look over it without paying attention. Paul does quite a bit of it, I think. Um, mm. A bit of it in Ephesians and also what well, he does almost everywhere he, he writes is that he sees our reality not as the one we're struggling, but the future one to which we've been called. And you brought up this yes. word telos, and we've talked yes. through that before. Yeah. But right. I think that's a crucial piece here because mm-hmm. for him, and like most people think at the time, the 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 oak tree is not the acorn, right? The, the oak right. tree is the mature tree. Right. And so that's what it wants to be. It's what's mm-hmm. passionate. You say, well, it's very legalistic to tell an oak, an acorn, that it has to be an oak tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous to force it to be that, but that's what it's designed to be. And the mm-hmm. outcome is, is where it's its happiest, its fullest. And this, you know, you've talked a lot, I know you do a lot about flourishing, mm-hmm. like to see the law of God, and you just mentioned it, the law of God as the, 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 the telos, what we were designed to actually be means you're, right. you're living into it is going to be the best flourishing for your community. And I think what you've done for us here is to say, even the law of unity mm-hmm. is not something that's like, you're an acorn, now we're going to tell you to be a pumpkin patch. Right. It's, yeah. it's, you've just, you thought you're, you actually have to realize you actually are an acorn. And once you see that, right. living into this is actually yeah. the life of the church. And that's not yeah. hard. You've still got droughts to deal with and all. Yeah. But the point yeah. is you become what you were always designed to yeah. be. Yeah. Everything that, that, everything that that oak tree will ever become is already contained right. in that acorn. Right. And of right. course, there's right. soil, there's conditions. All I'm not I'm not going to try and stretch the metaphor too far. But why not? We always do. <laughs> exactly. Why stop now, Luke? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I think that's really important for us to see um, here as we turn this corner with Paul in this letter. Is that what we're what he's calling us to is not something that we manufacture, but that has been given to us as a rich gift for us to live into and out of. And, and, and yet at the same time, I mean, this is the great tension, isn't it, Dan, is that I'm saying, oh, well, unity's already is a reality. Well, uh, how come we met at 830 and 1015 and the Assemblies of God met, you know, two blocks away on Columbia Avenue at, okay, that's all, there's a lot of discussion there. And I probably just opened a Pandora's box that now I can't close in these moments. But the point is, our unity is a reality that is given to us in Jesus because of what he's done. And so then that changes our approach to our life together. in in profound ways and and one of them i think that i was trying just the beginning of it is just to embrace this reality Mm -hmm. and that goes to something that i think i've I've appreciated and and to be fair i'm coming out of a different different tradition where it's new for me is that you know i think you have a way of blending these two things together and maybe there's a reason why you do it so that they're they're hard to unpack but you have the the theology of what is real and what god has actually done with the actual existential moment in which we find ourselves grappling with it. And the, the typical tradition I found for a lot of preachers is to separate these two things out. So you got, you know, the, leave everything else alone, time, space, just deal with the text on its own, mm-hmm. unpack exactly what Paul's doing in first century, you know, mm-hmm. Asia Minor. And then once that's done, say, what principles can we pick out of this area now and bring to our time? That it seems like this idea of unity in the church for you is the existential reality and you you want to see that breathe through the way that you unpack the text and yeah and and so it, it becomes I, and the one way I've described this um, as I hear you preach is that I I think you're a, a pastor who preaches right you are 
you are preaching with the issues of this day time. I think you even said this about your own notes, mm. this day time in the church now, and you're weaving that together with, with the, with the understanding of the text. So that it's, it's all sort of blended into the way you discuss it. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if yeah. I'm saying it fairly. No, I think that's fair is, is, uh, well, I mean, one of the things that anyone who grabs a manuscript on a Sunday morning might see is the way I have at the very top um, center instead of left justified is <laughs> um, the title of the sermon and the text of the sermon. And again, the title comes first. I could put the text first. That's probably more in line with my <laughs> theology, but okay, we'll not quibble over that. Put your notes under the Bible though. That's, that's, that's right. We, exactly we, we've established today. that, yes. Um, but then not only do I have the sermon title and the text, but I also have the date and the year the, and the day of, of the week, Sunday, March 6th. And then I also have the place, Wheatland Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so I, I think what I'm, I, I think that's an illustration of the fact that there are actually these couple of lenses through which I am bringing the text to us on each Sunday is that, yes, here is the text. That's at the very top. But there's also a time and a place that this text comes to us as well. Mm. And I think, um, I think uh, you know, I, I think that was goes back to Gaffin, Richard Gaffin, maybe, mm. at Westminster Seminary, who just beat into us. At, he didn't beat it. He was the gentlest guy. <laughs> but um, these... The scriptures are not timeless truths. And um, I think for evangelicals like myself coming in to a place like Westminster that opened my eyes to redemptive history and the history of God's redemption, to see that it was rooted in space-time history and, and, and that sort of thing, to hear him say over and over, these are not timeless truths. Now, what he wasn't saying is that they are not, is, it, he, he wasn't saying that these things aren't, aren't timeless. true, and, and, yeah. and that's not, but he's saying they come to us in a time and in a space originally, and they come to us in a time and in a space now, in that context, that is incredibly important to our pastoral and theological endeavor. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I think if, if that's helpful to sort of that question as a a pastor who preaches, I think, yeah, that's a fair, a, a really fair assessment of what I'm hoping to do each week is not, mm. is not simply give us bare theology in a sense, as if any theology is bare, is, is yeah, yeah. all, all theology is practical theology at some point. Um, but yeah, and anyway. I think that the idea of starting points are helpful, that I think I've, I've noticed a lot of your starting points are existing issues and struggles the church has. And, and to, you know, like sometimes I come to church and I'm, my starting point somewhere else, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the theology somewhere, but your starting point is the struggle that we may have, or you might know about in the church or where the mm. church in general is struggling. Yeah. And I think even this one, this unity may not be exactly what Wheatland, praise God, is struggling with at the right. moment, but right. the church has historically and the church in America might be. Right. And so that, that's sort of, as I'm guessing, it seemed like your mm -hmm. starting point were those issues that, you know, are real and potential mm -hmm. and then working your way up into yeah. what the text is trying to give us as, a, as an answer to that or as a way of, of addressing that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think what feeds into that is the fact that for Paul, 
you know, the, the fact that these, that unity seems to be one of the major themes that comes out of the gospel. In, in other words, God reconciling us to himself and us to each other is not downstream of the work of Jesus yeah. in the gospel. Yeah. This isn't something that flows out of it sort of downstream, but it is actually at the center of, and I, I think maybe, maybe when somebody, uh, I, I think that's also what I'm trying to say in all of this as well, is um, it's not just that it is, unity is something that I think Paul is putting at the center of his writing because that was something at that time that was being done that was blowing categories for both sides, of course. But also this becomes preserved for us in God's providence because this is something that the church will always struggle with. Mm-hmm. But also, um, so those things are true and I believe them. And I think that's as good a reason of any for um, talking about unity in the church, that if you've got it, Paul says you have to eager to maintain it. So I think there's this idea that even if you've got it, and let's say Wheatland enjoys it to the great degree that we do now in our leadership and in our life together, there's always this maintenance that has to happen as well. But the other thing is you're not faithfully exegeting the gospel if you're not talking about this. Mm. Uh, And I think that's Paul's conviction, and I think that ought to be ours as well. It seemed in this, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a but as if this is somehow against that, but it did seem like one of the things you wanted us to hear someday was that whatever that unity is, it's, it is itself a consequence of the theological truths. It, exactly. Systematics, we're not, we don't have to go into Charles Hodge mm-hmm. or something like this, um, but there is some sense in that, this indicative piece that, and I think the way that you were, you were pushing us to think was that the union in Christ, which is a theological reality. Mm-hmm. Is is that which leads to the practical truth, yes. practical theology of unity among one yes. another? That right. That that you're 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 even though your sort of approach goes sort of like from one into the next, back that the the logical the logical order, maybe not the narrative order of your sermon, but the logical mm-hmm. order is you begin with the high theology and truth of reconciliation mm-hmm. in Christ and union in Him by His atonement, predestined mm-hmm. as 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 Paul is happy to say. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the reality. Now comes right. this this right. other truth. Yeah, we now practice that. Now we live it out because of that. Right. And those things are, and I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the things Reformed faith has missed sometimes is you take the theology first and you extract it out, and then you you very weakly link it to something that's real. One mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me after doing a study on Romans was how Paul was not doing Romans one through ten and eleven, and then sort of like as an afterthought. Oh, here by the way is chapter twelve. Right. He was actually writing all of that to get to chapter 12. That was, mm. a, that was a mind bender for me because as a reformed person, I'm, I'm happy to stay in, you know, one to 10, one to 11 right, and just right, get the high right, theology, right. but right, it has right. a purpose. Yeah, so like you say, exactly. all theology, maybe all theology has practical theological implications or all theology has to also be practical, something along those lines. Right. And yeah. 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 And I think that when we get, when we sort of begin pulling at these things, here in Ephesians, I think we see Paul isn't doing something any different than what he was doing in Romans as well, where all of this, um, what Ephesians 1 through 3, which we're very happy to dwell in, is so that he can get to Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which are are hard hitting for us in some places. And so let's, let's, let's go there, because I think you had this really, you know, 
not all metaphors land. I know this fully well. I speak all mm -hmm. the time, but I thought this metaphor was really strong in my mind. Um, that if if we if we're starting with this place of the theological truth is that Christ is mm -hmm. we're unified in Him. That's 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 an actual. That's real. That's done and over. Then the the lived reality that we now put it, we find a church that often does divide. Paul's church in Ephesus was certainly mm -hmm. the American church, global church, Orthodox, Catholic, right. Baptist. Right. World. This is something we do. Um, that, that you see that Paul's admonition here, an imperative, uh, again, going back to this construction metaphor, which I really have liked in this, mm -hmm. is that you now, he's giving you not only the fact that this is going to be messy as God does it, but now he's giving you some concrete or um, studded walls here that we can put right. up to right. say, one way is to fight these, the division is to realize mm -hmm. that our church is surrounded by these fall, four hefty walls, right. things of humility, gentleness, patience, and long-suffering or bearing um, bearing mm -hmm. one another's. So how, exactly. how do these function? And, and I think you had said something along, if these walls are strong, this becomes a space in the middle safely to live out what's true about us. Yeah. But I, I like yeah. this idea that those are the structural pieces that have to be there. Right. Or, or they are there because Christ has already built right. them. Right. Yeah. There. And that, I, I, I think probably, I saved that. <laughs> I saved that a little bit for later. I was trying to make the case. So sometimes I really like to go this way and then at the end say, and this is true because X, Y, or Z. And I think that's what I was trying to do in this sermon is just when you think what we're talking about is what we have to do and what we have to be people of perfect humility and gentleness and, and patience. And, and in order for us to actually be the church, this is how we have to be. And if we're not doing this, we're not the church. Yeah. We get to the end and we realize, oh, wait a minute. This is actually who Jesus was in his incarnation. And he's called us the body of Christ. So this is actually who we are. This is our reality. This is what we're meant to do. And all of a sudden, when those four walls are constructed for you by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, then all of a sudden, it's as if the space has been created and built. And now what we have to do is live in that reality of, of what's been built. And I think I don't think I'm expressing it well, so I invite help here, but I think that's a different way of approaching it than saying, strap on your tool belt, get out and buy yeah, the lumber right. and build this people. You're not building fast enough. You're not doing it, it. I think it's a different way. At least mm -hmm. it, it is for me. It's a helpful thing to invite people into in a different way. But um, yeah, these four walls, I think are really important because what they're, I, I said this idea, you, you just made mention of it. They define a different sort of space in the world, but it's not the space that we have to work and sweat and labor to create. Although there's work involved, it is a place that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has created. But for me, seeing that this is such a unique space in the world that God has created in Jesus is, is really something that we as God's people should be overjoyed about. Uh, it, 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 I said it at some point in the sermon that this is the place that even when our neighbors and friends don't know it, this is the place they're longing for. This is the safe, the truly safe space that people are, are actually so hungry for and, and, and the place of rest. Well, I don't know if this helps. Um, we're, we've been grappling with this at LBC, trying to come up with words for what does it mean to think biblically and teach bi biblically. And 
And Dr. Joe Kim, who teaches in our Bible department, had said similar to you, and he used a construction metaphor as well, where he was saying our doctrine is our building that we live in, and it determines the shape of the space we live in. We, we, we live according to the shapes it provides. The hallway is here, and the bathroom's there, not over there. Which, but, but he said that, and I think if I were to stretch that into yours to say the walls that Christ built force us into a certain set of furniture. You, mm. There's a certain way to live, and we don't build those things around the furniture we've pre-chosen. I, I like this is my preference. I like that. I want blue. I like a chair that looks like that. I'm going to build a room. No, the room's already set. Mm-hmm. These are these are the things that define the space. Now, the furnishings and the way we live in it have to reflect that. You can't you can't put mm-hmm. things in the room that don't fit there. You have to put things that belong there. And so it's our freedom to do that. But we are we find the fullness of, of how we live there if we agree with the walls of so gentleness and peace are there. then we want furniture that that augments and accentuates and reinforced. I thought that was helpful because it it creates mm-hmm. this freedom to do things, this creativity in the middle with right. these absolutes that are around it, you know, that that we have to live into. And I, I don't know yeah. if that's, again, we're good at stretching metaphors too far, so I'll right. claim ownership for this one. But I don't know if that gives you, you know, from Dr. Kim's no, words for how we might. Well, it reminds me, is it, it. is it Jeff Bezos' yacht that was being built in the Netherlands? Or I, I can't remember. Maybe it was Elon sure, why not? of these guys. Why not? Yeah, it wasn't it mine. Was, That's all I know. It was yeah, check my bank account. It was, it was built. I think it was Bezos. Or, or what, I can't remember actually. Sorry, because I didn't read an article. Well, I don't. I don't think any of us cares that much. Quite but much. it was it was built so big um, that they could not get it out of the port because there was this um, <laughs> very old architecturally beautiful bridge that prevented it from getting out of the port. No <laughs> one thought about so that. Big. But of course, Musk or whoever it was could just have the bridge disassembled and then put back together. <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah, you, all that to say, these are the definitions of what the church is and what life looks like into the church and, and what you bring into the church has to fit within this space. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's what I was saying um, at one level about um, there's a way in which you could have it you could you could have a high uh, uh you could feel like you were really um committed to a high christology and yet at the same time if the way in which you express that does not fit into these four walls you've you've failed to grasp yeah a, a, the, what Jesus is and, and what he has done in the world and in us and in his church. And, and like, to me, that's like, yeah, I love this, but I'm trying to get the couch in there and it doesn't fit. Well, right. we don't tear down the walls to bring in the couch. We, yeah. we go, we, we have to find the right furniture that fits in. Right. And, yeah, and that does help. Here's the other thing, what I, what I was thinking, you weren't saying this specifically, but I think you were addressing what is a real tendency probably in evangelicalism or saying Protestant more broadly and more broadly is that we can see the law of christ as one of the work of christ in one of two ways it's a wwjd bracelet on the one hand right so this mm-hmm. is here's your example mm-hmm. he did it right he was the most loving kindest nicest person and that's your job is to do what he did or on the other side it's so theologically he did it already got nothing to do one antinomian right. one sense and one uh, um, one moralistic libertine, yeah right libertine and i and even though those listening may not understand those words in the history of christian doctrine those are real possibilities and right it seems like the church just popularly without even doing the high theology tends to slip but in thinking of it this way it, it is both of these and i thought that's mm-hmm. what 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 i think was very helpful you you right. weren't saying 
Well, Jesus isn't really the example, and it can't be all just what he did. You were saying, actually, it's both of these. He right. modeled it. He is our full example, but it's already something that's been accomplished, and we're being called to follow it as example, even though it's already been accomplished. Right. I don't know if the, if the wall and space somehow in there, I like this, because it gives us something rigid and unchangeable with the free space to actually participate. Mm -hmm. It's not, yeah. we have to build the entire building, and if we get exactly. it wrong, we're going to screw yeah. up, and it's not, the building's already set, the furniture's yeah. set, you just walk in and sit down. Yeah. It's somehow both of these. Right. And I think maybe even one way to, well, we're really deepening and <laughs> beating this metaphor, but to think about the gifts that brought in, that are brought into this space, how are they brought in? They're brought in by us as God's right. people. It's, right. a, it's as if here's the space and I'm going to give you the gifts to make that space beautiful and right. life-giving right. and, right. and meet, but, but but here are the walls. It's humility. Done, through, right? But now I'm going to give you gifts that you bring in. And because of who you are, whether it's pastor, teacher, whether it was the evangelists or the apostles or the shepherds, whatever it is, all of this is furnishing this house in these lovely ways with the gifts that I've given. But and that's up to you guys to work, not up to you. I've given you the gifts to do it. Work that out. That, that same tension exists. But he has partnered with humanity to furnish that space right. in a sense. Right. And it, and it really brings a high aesthetic here because it's a beautiful thing to obey. And I think that the moralistic, if Jesus is just the example and we mm -hmm. just have to do what he did or else we're right. not in, um, it just becomes, yeah. it becomes drab. It becomes mechanical. I, I've always, it's always funny people that don't understand the reform faith or older traditions come in here liturgically. Wow. That's so repetitive. Mm -hmm. Why do we say the same thing? But in another sense, you see it's so life-giving because the words aren't yours. You get to cling to words that are thousands of mm -hmm. years old. And mm -hmm. either, either I do this because it's who I am. I do this because I have to. It's actually both of those things. I do them right. because I have to, and it's shaping who I am. And I think yeah. that, I think, I think that this, this picture allows us to see something that's far more beautiful, where obedience, like it is in Psalm 1, is actually mm -hmm. a thing that allows the tree to bear up under any season and be, its, be itself, not by its definition. Right. Yeah. But by the law of God's definition. Mm. And I, I think, I mean, when you start talking about trees and Psalm 1 and acorns and oaks, <laughs> the tree comes out of a seed, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a significant uh, image to think about. Like, this is the givenness. It's the seed. It is here. Yeah. Here it is. Here's the givenness of your identity. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that you must do to grow into that identity that are given and but but the seed is what is given and i think that's kind of what i was trying to say with with this passage is the church is the place of humility and gentleness and patience and long suffering because of who jesus is in the world blah 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 i've said that a lot but that is but us growing up into that hmm. is still part of the work that has to be done in a world in a particular place and space right. and time and there are ways in which we can live together that press against that mm -hmm. um you know you could try to bring in you could try to put this sectional uh i don't know i'm here we are we're really killing it but uh, sectional this, in the bathroom yeah, and, and it just doesn't fit it's too big there, there's no you know there's no it doesn't make sense with the bathroom either Something whether it's pride yeah there you go carpet in a kitchen there carpet you go. In a kitchen. That, there that you was go. an oldie but a baddie right there. Yeah, that's right. And I, in I bought a house too. had carpet in a kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Unthinkable. But that's like um, that's like trying to uh, 
bring in pride into the church. And, and of course, there are so many examples of why that's as bad of an idea in the leadership of a, a local community as carpet in the bathroom when you have a four year, when you have a four year old boy, you know, or any yeah. boy, let's just be honest. Any boy. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Let's not let's not go. That, let's that keep moving. I, have, I can give you my own theology of, of, of that's OK. That's this, OK. But anyway, I'm, I'm yeah. going to exert my uh, my my rights as the uh, <laughs> as the host to move us along to cut that conversation off. But let me let me ask this maybe in a little different direction, maybe maybe helpful to unpack. If we walk in, let's say the church has decided mm-hmm. to be a moralistic place. Yeah. The church has decided we're, we're just going to do what's right because we have to. And it's like, mm-hmm. and you walked in a Sunday morning, you might not see a church that looks different than a church that's getting it right. right. Yeah. So how do we know that that Wheatland is getting it right? Because if it's just yeah. observation, I look around, I say people are kind and nice, but that maybe yeah. everyone's just being moralistic. How do we know right. that we're yeah. living in this space the way that God's called us to live in this space? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, one of the things that I said on Sunday is like, I think one of the great joys of serving at a place like Wheatland is that there is this great unity and there is, there's a lot of, of really hallmarks. Uh, these walls, I, I love living in this space because I feel these walls of gentleness mm-hmm. and patience and humility and, and long, long suffering in love. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is the conversations that I have on a regular basis with people who have had experiences in other places where they have not, um, where, where one of these walls has been a little bit broken down or teetering. Um, I remember uh, I, I, I did a master's degree. I think we've talked about that. Um, and one of my professors uh, after the MDiv, and, and one of my professors was a church historian named Bob Letham. And um, he was talking about Karl Barth's dogmatics, his, his, his whole volume set of church dogmatics, uh, systematic theology. And he described it as just this amazing, beautiful cathedral. Just mm. gore- I mean, if you've ever read Barth, he is, he is a, an incredible, he's, a, he's an incredible thinker, incredible communicator. But um, Bob Letham would say, but it's like walking into this glorious, gorgeous cathedral that is also um, beginning to crumble. Mm. And at any moment, a, a large <laughs> piece from the very top could fall on your head and, mm, and, and, and knock you down. And I think, uh, so let me take that away from the sort of Bob Letham's difficulty with real particular places of Bart's theology. And that, that's what he meant by that. There's a, some of this is just glorious and then other stuff that could knock you dead flat in a, in a, in a matter. Probably of the architecturally necessary pieces. <laughs> right, right, exactly, maybe. Yeah. But, um, but I think there are people that have been in congregations, um, local congregations before coming to Wheatland that have experienced some of that, not theologically necessarily, but in the life together, where there are places where pride in leadership or pride in, in the body somewhere or harshness instead of gentleness, like have fallen and, and, and wounded them. And, yeah. and I think, you know, these are, the, these are the sorts of things that I was trying to say 
because the reality is that we are actually connected to each other, that mm. we are unified to each other, then when these other places uh, where, where humility or harshness or impatience or um, what I called canceling, and maybe that's controversial to use that there um, as far as instead of forbearing with one another in love, at, at least being unwilling to bear with one another in love, whatever you want to call it, where those places um, are in a congregation, because we are connected to each other, they do real harm. And um, that's, that's, I think, the danger is that we don't take this seriously. That's the other thing that I was trying to point out is that this, these things are not aspirational, in a sense. I mean, we are, we are living towards them and, and to them, but they're more than just when, when Paul says, I urge you, it's not just like, oh, you guys really ought to consider if you're going to be together as a church, you really ought to consider being more humble. No, he's saying more than that. He's saying there, if, if you bring in something else, these pieces will fall and people will be hurt and killed and maimed when you live in another way than this. Yeah. And then the, and the fact that it's not in keeping with Christ, who's the founder of the faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and, and, and that's the whole, yeah, that, and, and really, I feel like that's where the whole argument really hangs. Like, it's because this is who Jesus, this is how you have been rescued mm-hmm. in Jesus, by the body of Jesus in the world. Um, it was through his own humility, blah, 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 patience, forbearing, and love as I talked about in the sermon, that you have become who you are. And if you live against these, you are living against reconciliation and redemption. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, the scriptures and Paul certainly says this in Christ, that be, beware, be on your guard, that it's not a, it's not an autopilot position you get into where you can navigate between this sort of antinomian and libertine words that it's my work constantly. And I think, I think I can Mm -hmm. feel that sometimes, you know, even in our church, you know, we, you know, someone, do I have to, am, am I being nice enough? Am I not? And I hear this anxiety sometimes in some of our people, am I not being nice enough? Am I, should I be nicer? That, that's good. But you actually want to watch out for that anxiety because mm-hmm. then, then there might be living into it wrong. You're, you're overly concerned yeah. about a moralistic line rather than feeling the joy of obedience. It's becoming yeah. a, a burden. And I, yeah. I, I think there's, I think evangelicalism has always been a bit of a problem called fundamentalism. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think there's always a tendency to kind of slip into that category and there's probably others, and I, there, there may be a generational line here. I may not, may not that may not be correct. Mm-hmm. Then, like, who who would say now? As soon as it becomes an imperative or something I have to do, then it's not authentic and it's not me. Yeah, that's an interesting. I had a lot of thoughts about authenticity in this. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember what they were, but I I remember <laughs> they were good. I, I remember I was writing it. Um, yeah, if you feel like in order to be for it to be really authentic, it has to be your own. Do, it has to be your own idea. It has to be your own. Um, this is going to be very hard for you. Yeah. In a sense, because what we're saying is this is already given to you. Yeah. And it yeah. becomes authentic because as you do it, because this is actually who you are. Yeah. Um, not because you decided to, it was your own idea and you've adopted it and that's authentic connection with Christianity. No, it's authentic because it's actually true to who you have been remade in Jesus. Right. And that's, that's difficult because I think the tendency 
is always going to be a slip off. As Luther said, man, it's like a drunk man on a horse. We fall off one time and we get up and fall back off the other. Right. And that there's, there's going to be this middle ground is really hard to nail down. And I, I hope yeah. everybody hears it's not easy for any of us. If my tendency is towards, if my tendency is towards moralism and, and legalism, then I, I'm, I'm pretty much going to always keep taking, I've got to constantly watch to make sure I'm not, if my, if my, if I'm always over towards the libertine, God's done it all. I can, I got to right. be whoever I am. Yeah. Then you just need to put a guard there. And I, I say this to students sometimes when, when they're thinking through who they are. And I said, there's a road going along a mountain pass. Everybody's road's different. The mountain pass is the same, but everyone's road's a little different. And sometimes your road goes right up against the cliff. That's mm -hmm. where you need to actually spend some time building your barrier up to make mm -hmm. sure. But where your road doesn't go, and you, you probably don't need that. I think Paul talks about this with animal sacrificed idols. Some people are really worried about that. Yes, you need to build yeah. a really high barrier there because your tendency is going to be a slip into idolatry. For some of mm -hmm. you, that's not even a problem. Don't even right. worry about it. Yeah, And I think if you've given us these two spaces as we live here is that if our tendency is on the one, that's where we have to just keep an eye out. And if your legalism mm -hmm. is your tendency, then, then you need to constantly be an eye out for the fact that you're doing things because you have to rather than because it's who God calls you to be. And then on the opposite, you're constantly yeah. not to see the law, not to make you might want yeah. to keep that up so that you always push back into doing even when it's not comfortable doing what's right. Yeah. Which and, is uh, the space of unity. Right. And, 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 and I think that's why. Um, the church as a community is so important because I am counting on others with different eyeballs and different sensibilities than I have to be able to say things that I have, you know, blind spots are called blind spots because <laughs> they exist. Reason, yeah. yeah. I mean, right. there, there are things that I know whether it's pastorally uh, or, or, or something, I know I have blind spots and there are people that I need to listen to that sometimes I don't want to listen to because mm. I know blind spots exist. And I think that's, that's something of developing that humility, not just per, for, for, our, for our life together here, mm. that humility, that patience, that gentleness, um, that forbearing one another mm. in love. But mm. I, I love what um, Alexander Schmeyman said about how all of this happens is that when we come to the church if the church is the body of christ in the world if the church is that place where humility and patience and gentleness and forbearing one another in love is being embodied as i said in the sermon mm -hmm then when we gather together on a Sunday, that sort of ups the ante a little bit about what's happening in, in, in our time together. It's not just coming to learn something new in one sense, although I hope we are always growing in our understanding of the scriptures. But I, I gave this quote that Schmeyman said, um, we, when we worship together, we are being immersed in God's love for us in Christ and immersed again in the love we're to show one another. And I think that that is a helpful thing to add to our perspective about why it's so important to be together on a Sunday in an embodied way as a congregation um, to hear the mm -hmm. words of, and the gospel. Uh, I mean, it, it is such an embodied experience of being immersed in God's love for us and our love for each other that we're if if we don't have that and I'm not you know this is not a rant uh, or anything but it's just the reality 
it, mm-hmm. it, that we we're desperate for that. Well, I think I was I was toying with this idea. I'm, I'm watching The Chosen again. I I, cho- I decided not to for a while because I I don't like okay. the extra biblical things about it. But what I've what I now see is is yeah, it's, I don't take it as biblical truth. But I take it as just mm-hmm. sort of acted out theology. And when I see it that way, there's actually some really beautiful things that are coming mm-hmm. out of it. And I, you know, some things I'm like, I wish they wouldn't have done that. That's probably yeah. not what Peter would have said. Right. But but if, but if you're taking theology, I think there's some beautiful things. But I think with that, as I'm watching how people, and just think how people must have engaged Jesus when he said, come, he bids them come and die. Yeah. And something that occurred to me when you were preaching, and I thought, yeah, the world, the world offers a life that only has one end. If, mm. if you can do it the world's way, you will, you'll live, but it has only one end, it has death. But yeah. if you actually come to die in Christ, it's the only way to really live because you're mm. freed from worrying about the death. You're freed from worrying about what's going to get lost because yeah. it's in him and in the unity that's already eternal. His death is the only way to truly be free and live finally, where the world's all its great promises of life really only take you one place. There's, right. it's, got one, it's got one end point and there's no avoiding it. It's death. That's just the way it is. Which, and what you're, I think what this is doing is saying, you know, help us see this. This is a dying. I think you've made that statement mm-hmm. where it's dying, a dying self, a dying to your identity, all of those dying yeah. points are actually the only way to live in community freely, yeah. graciously, kindly. If you do it the other way, it's anxiety. You're trying to avoid this. Don't take this away from me. I can't yeah. be that. This is not who I am. It's a constant struggle to not die when that's the one thing you will do yeah. is die. It's, it, it, it is Jesus' words over and over mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways that matched his life. Right. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. And I think that's, I mean, if we are the body of Christ, death is part of that story. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. But resurrection is at the end. That's of the, the whole point. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, there's only resurrection after death and there's yeah. only resurrection through death, and, which sounds macabre, but, but quite frankly, if you look at the world that doesn't have the crucifixion at its center, it can't offer, and it, it can't offer, it, it, it's trying to offer a way to avoid death, and that's its great promise, which it can't do. It's idiotic. You can't do that. Well, Christ actually yeah. embraces it so that you can, you can enjoy the resurrection in him. Well, I think that speaks back to that point about living in reality. I mean, right. one right. of the things that we know is real in the world is, I mean, I'm not saying we want to talk about it or think about it or dwell on it, but the reality is human death is the ultimate reality in mm-hmm. the world and to actually embrace that and become uh, part of this community that faces with not without flinching but faces and stares at death in the face and doesn't try to avoid it as a reality but yeah. finds through the other side of it life in jesus right. because of his resurrection is is the glorious hope of the gospel it is, because really, quite frankly, if you get down to it, the fear of death makes people do so all sorts of dumb things that can be harmful to others. But mm. to be afraid of God, who is the great life giver, makes death come, become small. And then you have the courage to do all kinds of things you can yeah. if death is your main yeah. fear. And, and I think that's why that this getting these things right, in a sense, and in as a congregation here on this corner, is what makes our witness, I think, so bright in our Mm. community, because we're not, we're not here saying we found a way to escape death. We we haven't found this sort of new morality that will train you in such a way that you will avoid death. We are dealing with the world as it really is. 
but we're dealing with, with it in such a countercultural way that we are bringing people um, and we ourselves are growing into this new sort of confidence and peace in the face of it because of what Jesus has already done to death in time right. and space in his resurrection. Yeah, and as a pointer, as a witness, which yeah. it's funny to me that that always seems to be the great job we have is, is, you know, we don't accomplish the end of death. We just point to the one, like, mm. as we go, right. that's fine. We're pointing to the one that, that is the resurrection. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's where you can find your peace. Yeah. So we're, so you've got us now, now are you going to do 10 through 16? You're going to fill in um, the second half of that? or is Well, that I haven't adjust? turned in my stuff yet, so okay. that's good. I got <laughs> to work early on in that the week. this afternoon, no. but I am, um, I want to do seven through probably 10 to probably, no, I don't know. I might just go all the way Come through on. 16, but there's some such great stuff at the end. Um, that maybe through 14, maybe seven through 14, because that's a, a, its own unit. And then 15, seven through um, 14 gives us a, a lot to think about, about the gifts that God has given to the church and, and how those gifts um, bring us to maturity. Mm. And then 15 and following sort of give us a picture 15 through the end of the chat uh, or 15 and 16, actually, it's only two verses, 15 and 16 give us uh speaking the truth in love where that's that's actually what it looks like when mm. you are being mature and so there's all sorts of good stuff there just got to see if i can either cram it all together and uh, or take our time i i think what's changed the pace is i've given up on finishing this before easter so now wow, all bets are off and i might be doing like three words at a time from here on out <laughs> so well, I think that verse 14, I, I think if, I mean, this has probably always been true of the church, but it feels like right now there's so many ways of doctrine. This goes back to, I think what you're saying is that it's our, it's our doctrinal truths that have to remain unmoved so that we mm -hmm. learn how to live into them. Yeah. And um, there's this tendency to, in this, in this moment, to meet the demand around us is to start picking up all of these, to, 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 re to respond to all of these problems mm -hmm. that our doctrine falls off and mm -hmm. can't do that because that's, yeah. that's how we become unstable. I love that image of wind of doctrine. Um, wind is one of those things. It it has serious effects, but right. it it it, it doesn't. It's it's yeah. It's uh, anyway. Uh, oh, that'll be fun. Get into that. Okay. Well, thanks, Luke. Yeah, thank for you, working Dan. Through this, thanks, and I, I appreciate you slowing down on it actually, because I think there's there's a lot to unpack. It gives a little time to breathe. Yeah, a little breathing room here. That's great. I look forward to next Sunday. Thank you, Dan. Thanks again for the conversation. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.